0: Paul writes, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you were in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you! What clearing of yourselves! What indignation! What fear! What vehement desire! What zeal! What vindication! In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Therefore, We have been comforted in your comfort. We rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Some of the things that Paul says in these Corinthian letters are kind of amazing when you think about how serious all the issues were at that church. And one particular phrase that comes up in the American Standard Version of this translation really kind of jumps out at me and occurs in verse 11, earnest care. Uh, You might find in in verse 11 that it's translated as diligence. And uh, we want to really discuss a lot of what's going on with that aspect of what Paul is saying here. Earnest care. Carefulness, I think, is how the King James Version translates it. But as it says in verse 11 uh, in the American Standard Version, Behold this selfsame thing that you were made sorry after a godly sword, what earnest care it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what longing. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what avenging, in everything ye approved yourselves to be pure in the matter. What's Paul mean when he's talking about diligence, earnest care, carefulness in this? That's what we want to, do, to consider. What earnest care it wrought in you? What led to this statement? Well, the meaning that we have in the Greek, it's from the root word for speed, which is kind of surprising. Because if you just read the King James Version, it says carefulness. What do we typically associate with carefulness? We're going to maybe be slow. We're going to be cautious. We're going to be patient and and calm, things like that. But the meaning really talks about, by implication, to dispatch, eagerness, earnestness, business, earnest carefulness, that sort of thing. We're talking about diligence. We're talking about haste. We're We're not talking about taking things slow. We're talking about dealing with things in a way that will produce something real. And that diligence speaks toward the honest, genuine love that we ought to have for each other as Christians. Sometimes what happens is the same thing that happened with Corinth. Corinth was asleep. The church had been started several years before by Paul. We find in Acts 18 that evidently was quite large in number. Verses 7 through 11 of Acts 18 seem to imply that. And through those years, we recognize that good and bad things happened. Paul seemed to have maintained a close connection with them. He talks with them in these letters as if he has this close relationship with them. And uh, certain questions and issues that he deals with in these letters shows that he has that connection, that relationship to speak plainly and honestly with them and to deal with the issues that they're working through. And even though serious efforts by some members at Corinth were done to undermine Paul and undermine his teaching, the church as a whole seems to maintain a confidence in him as well. The book of 1 Corinthians shows us that the congregation, of course, was far from perfect, had a number of issues. Division, carnality, worship of preachers, immorality, unscriptural lawsuits, insensitivity to others, misuse of the Lord's Supper, misuse of spiritual gifts. And that letter sought to correct those shortcomings. And it's helpful for us as Christians to identify the sort of things that we should be uh, of general rather than private concern. And that's really the kicker, isn't it? Often when we try to deal with these things, one of the reactions that we will get is, that, well, this is something you should have gone to this person a private matter for. Well, if it's a general problem that affects the collective congregation, I would say that's where we need to deal with it. And of course, all that we're saying here does not negate the fact that God tells us and commands us to be patient and to assume the best of our brethren and to work through issues in the right kind of ways. But this is part of, the, of this whole concept of the working through this in the right kind of way. And you know what's amazing about the the brethren at Corinth, it really seems like that they didn't complain when they were exposed to pointed teaching concerning areas where they needed to improve. You know, we we can dog on the brethren at Corinth. They had all these problems. There are a lot of things they weren't seeing. But at the very least, it seems like they're not railing against specifically what Paul is saying, except maybe the faction that was trying to subvert what he was teaching. So we can appreciate that at least. But initially, I think we want to look at chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians and recognize that initially they failed to have that earnest care. They did not have the kind of diligence that they needed to have. What is the criticism? 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, it is actually reported, Paul writes, that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Their character problem right now is that they're puffed up. They're prideful in the face of this sinfulness. And when we look at this, and we see they did not have the diligence to look at this and, and do something about it, Paul criticizes them for this. And we want to consider and think about ourselves here. How can I lack earnest care and this goes multiple ways, right? This goes for the congregation. This goes for us as individuals. And I want us to recognize that we're, we're this is both ways, right? I don't have all this together. And we need to think about this and consider, okay, how, what are some things that I need to change in my life to more closely embody this example of the diligence that we all need? And sometimes to do that, we need to recognize how we can fail in this. One way I thought... Was that very often in congregations, we don't want to disturb the peace. We want to feel like, well, this is, you know, there's nothing really going on. Everything's going okay, and we don't really want to cause any issues. The reality at Corinth was that there was no peace. You had all these issues. You had this immorality. You had Christians suing each other at at law. You had Christians who were causing others to stumble, who were undermining the work of an apostle, who were misusing the Lord's Supper who are failing in their practice of love and mishandling spiritual gifts. You know, lack of discipline is one of the major problems that we find in the church today, right? You, you look at most of the congregations out there, what's the big problem? The big problem is that we have had people who have fallen away, and over time there has not been the attention to go after them and talk to them and try to, uh, to, to persuade them to change. And uh, But the fact is, that really is only one of many disruptive things. What you'll find in a lot of congregations that don't practice Bible discipline is that there's going to be some other problems as well. You're going to find uh, very often that they may be lacking in reverence to God. They may be lax in the whole congregation being involved in the work. They may be careless in attendance. They may be materialistic or steeped in what I might call respectable worldliness. <laughs> You want to kind of make good with the world and act like everything's okay with the world when the reality is you're not being any different from the world. So we have to decide where we're going to be, and we need to stand there. And we don't need to let this false concept of peace keep us from being diligent and having the earnest care that we ought to have. We might also value our judgment in dealing with church problems higher than than God's. And again, that's the problem. They're looking at the ways that God wants it to be, but they're saying, no, I think we can deal with this in another way. And that happens. Some Christians look at church discipline and they say, well, that's too harsh. You know, we don't need to do that. Well, God's saying you need to do it. God's saying this is the way to go. So if you're saying you have a better way than God, can we see the obvious problems there? Sometimes we think we can have it all figured out. And decide which scriptural examples trump other scriptural examples. We say, well, this one, this this makes sense here, but this doesn't make sense here. And certainly, we di- we discern and we make those judgments in the right way. But we have to let God decide these things. We need to allow those things in in God's place. Some may have a shallow concept of holiness and sin and, and, and set God's bar low, set the standard low. We need to keep that standard where God keeps it and seek nothing better for myself or others. Some people are not impressed with the true danger that sin represents and the seriousness that happens when brethren fall away, when brethren turn away, and how t- tenacious sin is among disciples and how it can pervade and, and I- I- influence others. We have to be understanding about that seriousness. Some may not be concerned, uh, may, may be concerned more about what happens more than doing what God commands. Well, listen, if we do this, maybe a lot of people leave. Well, we've got to be faithful to God. And uh, we have, certainly have to be understanding and, and talk to people and, and, and discuss things. But at the end of the day, we have to follow God. And, and that's our pri- pri- priority. And so basically what we're talking about here is a misguided concept of this earnest care, this carefulness, this diligence. Uh, We may think of diligence as being diligent about worldly things when God wants us to be diligent about the things of his kingdom. Well, how did Paul deal with this issue? How did he turn this around? Well, based on what we read out of 2 Corinthians 7, it was out of a focus of generating a sense of godly sorrow. Paul took this situation seriously. He recognized the problem there, and uh, regarding the consequences to the sinner, he recognized that the flesh needed to be destroyed for the sake of the spirit being saved. He recognized that the uh, the brethren needed to be sorry about the way that they had allowed things to go on, and of course, he recognized the danger the whole church, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And we go back to 1 Corinthians 5, we see that. But look back in 2 Corinthians 7, we recognize here that there was a risk involved with Paul dealing with this problem in this way, isn't it? Sometimes when we, as brethren, we're, we're, we're appealing to people to look to the word and hold to the word, what risk are we facing? The risk that it will be rejected, right? The risk that we will be rejected. The risk that we will be cast aside. And Paul knew this risk. In verses 5 through 9, you recognize they had no rest in Macedonia. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. But Titus was the one that came and reminded Paul or showed Paul that that Corinth wants to change. They, They want to listen. They want to work through these things. At least that's what it seems in the text to me. And so they might have reacted differently. They might have become angry. They might have attacked him. They might have decided to form another sect, form another way of religion, and say, well, listen, what Paul is saying here, that's just legalism. We're going to go somewhere else. We're going to do whatever we want. But with real concern and earnest care, Paul did the only thing he could righteously do. And really, showing people the truth is going to produce one of these two results we see in 2 Corinthians 7. It's either going to produce godly sorrow in which that person wants to change, you know, a, a desirable result, or it's going to work worldly sorrow. And worldly sorrow will often produce anger, will produce lashing out. That worldly sorrow is that sorrow where, where you, you know in your heart of hearts that this is wrong. But here's someone telling you that it's wrong. And you don't want to face up to that. And so you will attack the messenger. You will lambast the messenger. But thankfully with Corinth, this godly sorrow led to their salvation. And in verse 10, we recognize that this is an indication how serious this was to their standing with God. Right? It wasn't just that they deal with this so the congregation can be peaceful, so that everything can work out. It wasn't just that they deal with this because this is just going to be the best for everybody involved. It's not just that. It's that if they didn't deal with this, their salvation is going to be compromised. Brothers and sisters, if we are not diligent with the things that happen in our congregations, if we're not diligent in what happens in our families, if we're not diligent with what's going on with ourselves... We have to seriously think about this and say, okay, does this affect my salvation? Because for Corinth, it sure did. But the pleasant aspect of this, you know, in verse 8, you know, he says, I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Testing the sincerity of your love in chapter 8, actually, is where that is. And uh, the fact that he's saying, I'm testing the sincerity of your love, do we recognize that sincerity is important? That this is not just about a show. This is about the reality of our lives. We're not coming here just to act like we're okay and everybody's all right. We're coming here to build each other up and encourage each other to do the right thing. Verse 16 Of chapter 8, thanks be to God who put the same earnest care in the heart of Titus to you. And uh, New King James, thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. The same idea, real concern, was expressed on the part of Titus toward their response to Paul's command to discipline the erring brother. Now Titus, as far as we know, was not an apostle. And so that tells us that we as Christians, every one of us, need to have that same care for each other. That concern. Well, the result of this, that earnest care, let's kind of look finally at kind of how that ultimately looked like. In chapter 2, in verse 1, chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, now what I'll say here, I'm I'm not 100% convinced that this uh, was the same exact situation talked about in chapter 5 of of 1 Corinthians. It may very well be. But regardless, um, if this is the same situation, it seems like they were a little bit too hard on this fellow as he was repenting. So we'll look in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 1. I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came... I should have sorrow over those from whom I sought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe." This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote, that I might put to you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything I also forgive, for it indeed for if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for you are not ignorant of his devices. You know, it's the same kind of language in 1 Corinthians 5, that Paul is basically saying, you know, I've, I've, reject, I, I, I've cast this person to Satan. I've already done this, basically. So when you're assembled together, do it as if I'm there. Remember in 1 Corinthians 5, that's what he's saying. And now he's saying... I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. So if this is the same situation, the same man, then what we see is that Paul's telling them, hey, don't be too hard on him. You know, don't let him be consumed with sorrow about his sin. And uh, so there's a great balance there. And I think that's the carefulness in this. That doesn't mean that we put things off. That doesn't mean that we ignore things. It means that we do the right thing with diligence for the right reason and for the right motivation. There are a lot of times where we'll study certain lists in Scripture, and when we go back to Second Corinthians seven and verse eleven, interesting list that we find here, isn't it? And it speaks toward the ways that we, as Christians, ought to be among each other, in our families, in our very lives. What clearing of yourselves he's talking about? That 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 uh, sense where they they couldn't act as though they had not done wrong right but they could act to correct the wrong and really as far as God is concerned when we recognize a problem and we deal with it and we do the right thing and we're forgiven of that and we we truly repent isn't it as if it never really happened spiritually So we need to work toward God's intentions in carrying out that command. He speaks of the indignation that they had. It was not against Paul who corrected them, but it was against the sinner. It was against the one who had done the deed, who had had caused the problems. And that's really where our indignation ought to be. True sorrow for sin is going to produce a hatred for it. If we're truly sorry about sin and we're, we're mournful of it, we're going to hate that. I don't know about you. I don't enjoy mourning over things. That's not something that I, you know, that I appreciate or enjoy. In the same sense, here, we should be so sorry about sin that we don't ever want to see it again. That we want to do everything we can to avoid it in the future, especially for the damage that it does to the family of God. We need to have that indignation against sin. The fear was part of what moved them toward correction. That fear of God's judgment, not fear of the offender, not fear of the one who's caused the problem, but fear of God, fear of the one who controls all these things, and fear of the apostle who sternly demanded that these matters be addressed Paul had promised to come with a rod if they didn't listen to him back in 1 Corinthians 4. And they, sounds like they listened to him. What vehement desire or longing affection, their desire to be approved by Paul and to conform to the life that he urged them to live. Or their concern to be free from blame regarding the the problem is probably both. The zeal that they needed to have to make things right. The obvious enthusiasm that they needed to get this done. And then the vindication. Some translations might say, what, revenge or punishment. And uh, again, linking back to 2 Corinthians 2, the punishment which is inflicted by many. Once they were made aware of the hurt and the danger posed by this individual, their effort is to deal with him severely and even beyond the necessary action. There's a number of things we can learn here. that We deal with these things in the right way, and we deal with it quickly, as quickly as possible. And he says, in all things you have proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Isn't that blamelessness? We talk about blamelessness from time to time. Isn't that blamelessness? You know, it wasn't that they were never uh, to be blamed for this but the way they dealt with it was so uh, uh, right and so clear that Paul says well you've proved yourselves right in this you prove yourselves to be clear in this matter and uh, you know having allowed this to exist they work to deal with it properly some circumstances of course are not pleasant we don't want to deal with certain issues that come up in our families and our congregations. But this illustrates how important it is to do God's will in every aspect of what we're doing in our individual conduct. We have to be sorry when we fail God. We have to employ this diligence or carefulness to deal with it, and, and that's a measure of our overall commitment to Him. Titus 3 and verse 8. Faithful is the, is the word, and as to these things I desire that you strongly affirm that those believing God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. The carefulness, the concern, the earnest care, the diligence, these are good things. Don't ever let someone who is of a worldly mindset warp your thinking into considering these things to be wrong or hateful or evil. Titus returned to Paul with a good report about Corinth, and Paul was overjoyed. He recognized, he saw their obedience, he saw their fear and trembling. And when we've done something against God, that needs to be us. Not pridefully casting aside say, well, I'm good. I've got everything taken care of. I'm not really all that bad. Why is it today when men express carefulness about the law, carefulness about pleasing God, carefulness about following the way, carefulness about doing everything by Scripture that they're so often seen as troublemakers, nitpickers, fault finders, and legalists? In Paul's day, seems like it was different. It seems like this situation with Corinth, as terrible as the situation at Corinth was, they reacted to the earnest care, the diligent focus that Paul was encouraging them to have. May the same be said for us. If I really care about my brothers and sisters, I will prove it, and I will act upon that care. Are you a Christian this morning? If you love God, then you're going to act about ha- act toward that. If you claim you love God, have you, have you spent time in his scriptures? Do you know the plan of salvation? If you don't, here's Jesus talking about it. We'd be glad to talk to anybody about this. And consider the truth of salvation, the fact that I need to be in the right place with God. And if that's not where you are this morning, that needs to change. And it needs to change now. And your diligence or your lack of diligence is going to be known by God. And it's going to be seen by God. So whether you're a Christian or you're a Christian that has something that needs to be taken care of, prayed for by the brethren here, we'd love to help you in any way we can. Will you respond to the gospel call? Please do so while we stand and sing.